All right, well, I'm so glad you've joined us today. We are in a finale of our series here called Be Different. We've really been inviting you to take a different perspective on life. Uh, we don't need to be normal just for the sake of being normal. Uh, what is normal today? It's debt, uh, anxiety, broken families, broken homes. We don't need normal. Normal isn't working. You and I have given our lives to Jesus Christ. He's changing our story. And, and, and God has now given us something different for ourselves, uh, for our families, for future generations. Oh, forget about the world and what anyone else might say or think or do. We're just going to keep loving Jesus anyway. We're going to keep living our lives for him. And the testimony of so many people in this church is that different is better. So we're inviting you to say, you know what? I want to be different. I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. I'm going to love him. But as I was thinking about this series, one of the hardest things in the world is to try to be different alone. We can't do it. We need help. We need people in our life who can inspire us and encourage us. So I want to talk to you today about different friends. Uh, my best friend growing up was a guy named Rob. Here's a picture of us. This is me and Rob at my 14th birthday party. First of all, this is a ridiculously embarrassing photo, and uh, man, you know, photo, photos of like middle school, early high school are just awkward. So I am fully in the awkward stage here, uh, but this is me and my friend Rob. Rob and I met back in middle school, and uh, we started playing tennis together. So uh, I would ride my bike to Rob's house, Rob and I would ride our bikes to the tennis courts, we'd play tennis for a couple of hours, and we'd ride back to Rob's house, we'd drink a ton of Gatorade and play a lot of Nintendo. And after a while we became pretty good friends, and we, were, uh, we got to be kind of good at tennis and really good at Nintendo, but that was my life at 14 years old. It was Rob, it was tennis, and it was Nintendo. And uh, you know, together we started playing doubles together. We became doubles partners and entered some tennis tournaments. We won a lot of trophies and medals. Uh, and then eventually we joined the high school tennis team. And this is right about that time. Uh, the, uh, especially the older guys on the tennis team just got a kick out of the two of us. Um, they actually created a nickname just for us. They called us Stash and Major Stash. And you can see why. I was Stash, Rob was Major Stash. And uh, we, we became the legend of Stash and Major Stash. Uh, but I got to tell you, Rob was my first Christian friend. I had never had a friend before who was a Christian. Um, I didn't really go to church at that time in my life. And Rob became a Christian friend at a time in my life when I really needed a Christian friend. I want to talk to you today about the power of Christian friendship. Because we're going to need somebody in our life who can help us to be different. And, and that's who Rob was for me. We became different together. I want to talk to you today about why every one of us needs a good Christian friend. Simply put, you need someone in your life who's like Caleb. You guys heard of Caleb in the Bible? You can't talk uh, about Caleb without mentioning uh, his, his uh, buddy Joshua. Right? Joshua and Caleb, they're one of the famous duos in the Bible. And of course, there are many famous duos in culture today. You've got uh, Sean and Gus. Anybody watch Psych? Okay, good. You've got uh, Laverne and Shirley, uh, Buzz and Woody, Frodo and Sam, Stash and Major Stash, right? 
But I want to show, I want to take you to that moment in the Bible where Joshua and Caleb really connect in a powerful way. Their story is found in Numbers chapter 13 and 14. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. It covers two chapters in the Bible. Uh, but by reading their story, we're going to begin to see why every single one of us in this room needs a good Christian friend. We'll show you what a Christian friend can do and be for you. So if you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to open it up. Numbers 13. It's an incredible story. Before we dive in, though, I want to open up our time with a word of prayer. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for a community of faith. Thank you, God, that we can come into this space and be encouraged by the songs and by the words that are spoken to more passionately love, follow, and serve you. God, we need, we need a community that sets our heart on fire for you. So we pray this morning that we would be that for one another. Uh, there are many people in this room, God, who need stronger Christian friendships, God, including myself. So we pray, God, that this would be a place where we build those friendships and we run after you with full strength, full faith, and full courage. So speak to us, God, as we open up your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Typically in the mornings as we come on Sunday, we actually read the scripture all together and then I pray. Didn't do that this morning. We're about to walk through two chapters. Are you guys ready? We handle that. Put your seatbelt on. And we're going to look at Numbers 13 and 14. So let's look at our story. What I want to show you is that Joshua and Caleb really show us the power of Christian friendship. Every one of us in this room needs a We need a Caleb. We need somebody who encourages us and inspires us to move forward with faith and passion. And, and that's what we see in, in Numbers chapter 13. The story begins in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at this point in the story, all the people of God have finally arrived at the very edge of the promised land. And it's been quite a journey so far. It's not been an easy journey. You might remember the people of God had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. But then God brought them out of Egypt with an outstretched arm and a mighty hand. He led them through the raging sea and across the wilderness of hunger and doubt. And now they've arrived. They're here. They're, they're standing at the very edge of God's promise for them. And for us, it might be like, uh, you know, when you finally arrive at the gate at the airport and you hear that bing, you know, like, it's now time to board your flight. And it's that wonderful moment that you think about all you've been through how it took, it was the stressful packing of the bags and driving to the airport and waiting in long lines, the intimate pat down, you know, all that that happens at the airport, but you finally made it to your flight. And God says here, you've made it. And then Moses, he instructs Moses, get 12 leaders, one from each of the 12 tribes. They'll go in, they'll survey the land. They'll get to see how wonderful uh, God has prepared this promise for his people. Now, for the next 16 verses, and you can scan that, Numbers 13 will list the names of the 12 leaders that are going to go in and explore the land. Uh, among those names, we find the names of Caleb in verse 6 and Joshua 
in verse 8. I am not going to try to read those names, <laughs> so you can just see them there. But now that we've got our crew, and there are, you know, we've gotten our crew together, Moses gives the instructions. So if you go down to verse 17, this is what it says. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How's the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? They've never been there. So Moses is asking all of the questions. Um, you know, do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. They've been eating manna. And Moses is like, hey, I'd like something besides manna. Bring me some grapes or something. And it was the season for the first ripe grapes. Moses and all the people want to know. They're really curious. What is this land like? First of all, is it good or is it bad? And then second, what's it going to take for us to, to walk in victory? Is it always going to be easy or is there going to be some difficulty along the journey? And we ask the same questions when it comes to our own relationship with God and saying yes to him and surrendering our life to Jesus Christ. We want to know, hey, is, is, is following God good or, or is it bad? It, it, is it going to be easy or is it going to be hard? Don't we ask those same questions? I, I, I think so. We're about to find out. Joshua, Caleb, and the 10 other leaders go into the land. And then in verse 21, tells their story. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin, as far as Rehob, toward Lebo Hamath. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron, where Ahiaman, Shishai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, lived. Hebron had been built seven years old in Egypt. When they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut up a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. So let's put up the map and see a picture of their journey here. They started out in the desert of Zin, which is south of the Promised Land. They traversed the entire land all the way up to the north to a place called Libu Hamath. And then they came all the way back down again. And uh, as they journeyed, they discovered a couple of things. First of all, they figured out that the land is really good. There was some amazing fruit in the land. The text describes the uh, pomegranates, the figs, and the grapes. In the valley of Eshkol, which is right there near Hebron, it says that the, the, the men cut off a cluster of grapes. It was so large, it was so heavy. Did you catch? They put it on a pole and it took two men to carry it back. Those are some awesome grapes. Like, how about them grapes, Moses? Like, I like them grapes. <laughs> but not far from the Valley of Eshkel. Actually, it's very, very near. Just, just nearby in Hebron, they saw the descendants of Anak. These are mighty warriors who are living in the land and defending it. The explorers return to the people and they give their report. Verse 26. 
then they came back to Moses and Aaron, the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us. It does flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. The explorers get back. What's their report? The land is good. But the opposition is great. And the place where God is leading us is not going to be easy. I thought it was going to be easy. And you know what's true for them is also true for us. God never promised that it would be easy. He has promised he will always be with us. But what I've discovered in my own life, what many of you have discovered in your life, is that great destiny often comes with great difficulty. Great promises also bring some great problems. We look for blessing and sometimes there's battles. It ain't going to be easy because the best things in life never are easy. But God is with us. And my encouragement to you today is that if it's hard, if it seems overwhelming, if there are obstacles in your path or challenges that you never anticipated, as you, as you fight for your families, you fight for your future, as you, as you fight for something greater for your life, you might be exactly where God wants you to be. Because you're fighting for your destiny. You're fighting for your promised land. See, in those moments, and this is where friends come in, when you start seeing the giants in the land, who do you want standing by your side? Who's going to be there with you? Who's going to encourage you and inspire you to overcome those obstacles and keep moving forward? If you're in that moment, maybe you're like Joshua. You know, Joshua hasn't shown up in our story yet, but we know he's there. Joshua is one of the 12 spies. Now is the time for Joshua to choose his friends. In that moment, Caleb speaks up. Verse 30 says, Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we will certainly do it. We can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. Where's Joshua in the story? Doesn't tell us yet, does it? We don't know. This is a moment of decision for Joshua. We know Caleb has spoken up. He stood up in faith saying, we can do it. And the crowd has spoken. No, we can't do it. And now is the time for Joshua to choose his friends. Who's it going to be, Joshua? Are you going to stand with Caleb? Are you going to stand in faith? Are you going to stand with the crowd? Oh, no, no, no. We can't do it. We're going back. We're going back to where we were before God rescued us. What's it going to be, Joshua? It's pretty amazing, isn't it? You choose your friends. You choose your future. 
Where are you going, Joshua? See, when you're facing the battle, who do you want in your corner? Is it someone from the crowd? Or is it someone like Caleb, who's full of faith and full of courage? Is it someone who can inspire you to live differently? Let's see who Joshua chooses. Chapter 14, verse 6. Now we know where Joshua stands. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes. Now they're standing together. And they said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not be afraid of the people in the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. It's an inspirational speech, if I ever heard one. But the whole assembly talked about stoning him. Like, nuh-uh. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all of the Israelites. God shows up. He's about to speak. But I love this moment because there's something inside of Joshua that connects with the the faith and the courage of Caleb. Joshua chooses his friends. And in doing that, he chooses his future. He chooses his destiny. Now God shows up. This is what God has to say. Verse 11. The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me? Continue down, verse 23, God continues to speak. He says, not one of them, speaking of the crowd here, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. Not one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. We're in a series called Be Different. What do we learn about Caleb here? He's different. He's got a different spirit. He believes in God. He's trusting in God, following God wholeheartedly. And because of that, Caleb and Joshua have a different future. They will enter the land. And the same is true for every one of us. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we are different. Jesus has paid the price for our sins. We are forgiven by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are brought into a new relationship with God. We have a future with God, just like Joshua and Caleb. We have eternal life. That's life with Jesus that starts today and lasts forever. God has a promise and a future for every one of us. But what does God say to the crowd, to those who haven't believed? Verse 30, he says, not one of you will enter the land. I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. Then he speaks to the crowd. They will meet their end in this wilderness. Here they will die. And the Bible tells us, and you keep reading the story, that generation did die in the wilderness. They walked away from the Lord and his promise. Right? They, 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 didn't, they didn't have a heart that trusted in God. They lost faith and lost heart. But as the story goes on to, to say that 
Two people out of an entire generation stepped into the land. Joshua and Caleb, they inherited the promise because they lived by faith, they overcame giants, and they did it together. And it took two of them. Right? They, they supported, encouraged, and inspired one another. And that's why I love this passage, because it shows us the power of faith-filled friendship. You know, it's been said, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. And that's true for Joshua and Caleb. Show me your friend, I'll show you your future. It's why friends matter. Every one of us in this room needs a good Christian friend. It makes a difference. And, and I want to show you from this passage as we begin to apply it now to our own lives, the difference a good Christian friend can make in your life. See three reasons in the text why we need Christian friends. Number one, a good Christian friend shares your faith. A good Christian friend shares your faith. Now, people become friends because they have something in common. Rob and I became friends because we loved video games. And some nights we would play Nintendo all through the night. We didn't stop. We didn't sleep. It was like tennis, Nintendo, nonstop, and a friendship group. A lot of my friends today have children. They're raising children, just like Angie and I are raising children. Or maybe they love theology, like I love theology. But this is where friendship is born, right? Of, of common experiences in life. Maybe you think about your friends and, and what brought you together. Did you uh, go to the same school? Did you, were you a part of the same community? Maybe you've been through some things in life that they've been through those things too and you, a bond has forged or, or maybe it, it, it's just that you're in the same stage of life. But friends come together over things that we share in common. I think in our story, Joshua and Caleb have a moment where they kind of look at each other and they're like, oh, we should be friends. <laughs> Caleb has this inspiring courage. He loves God wholeheartedly. He has this strength in God. Numbers 14, 24, if you'll put it on the screen. Tells us Caleb has a different spirit. His faith is strong. He follows God wholeheartedly. Well, what do we know about Joshua? Joshua used to go with Moses to the tent of meeting. We read in our story how God showed up at the tent of meeting. And, and the tent of meeting is where God used to meet with Moses. The scripture tells us how Joshua would go with Moses to the tent of meeting. We read in Exodus 33, 11, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face. One speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. That's how I want to live my life. Moses is like, hey, we're done here, let's go. Joshua's like, oh, no, 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 no. I just want to hang out a little bit longer in the presence of the Lord. It was a man of God's presence. Maybe you're a person here today. You want to be a, a man of God's presence, a woman of God's presence, where you linger, spend a little time with God. That's Joshua. So here we have Joshua who loves the presence of God. Caleb has this outstanding faith. And there's a moment where they just kind of looked at each other like, oh, yeah, like we should be friends. 
C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, friendship is born at the moment where one person says to another, what, you two? I thought I was the only one. You're not the only one. You're not the only one in the world who loves Jesus. Not the only one who's different because of your faith in Jesus Christ. We're in it together. A good Christian friend shares your faith. You and I need someone in our, our life who has a passion for Jesus Christ. In our family, we call them uh, first chair friends. And we need good Christian friends, not just in the periphery of our life, in the second and third chair friendships. We need Christian friendships in our inner circle. Well, what's a first chair friend? You have a first chair friend, who's your number one? Who's the person you confide in? A, a first chair friend is Someone who loves us, who gets us, they believe with us. A good Christian friend is going to share your faith in Jesus Christ. They're running the same direction that you are. So yeah, let's have lots of second and third chair friends and first chair friends, but let's make sure at least some of those close, intimate friendships are people who love Jesus Christ. That's a life-changing friendship that every one of us needs. A good Christian friend shares your faith. Do you have some number ones who will inspire you to live for Jesus Christ? Why else do we need a Christian friend? Number two, a good Christian friend encourages you. It's your Christian friends are going to encourage you, and encouragement is powerful. My friend Rob and I played doubles tennis, and we got into some battles together. And sometimes it wasn't even certainly clear that we would win the match. But I know a lot of a lot of matches we won through encouragement alone. And we would, we would, I know some, you're like, tennis is boring, you know, you're like, dink, dink. No, we got into it. I'm talking high fives, chest bumps, yep, <laughs> chest bumps, celebrations. Come on, let's go. And we would, we would fire each other up. And we won a lot of battles that way. In, in uh, sports or football, sometimes they talk about the 12th man on the field. What does that mean? Well, in football, you have 11 players and 11 players, but the 12th man, the crowd, the cheering, the encouragement gives the team an advantage. When you have someone in your life who ignites your faith in Jesus Christ, that's called an advantage. That is a spiritual advantage advantage for you. We need a good Christian friend. They encourage us. Encouragement is powerful. Through encouragement, we keep going and we keep fighting. We need that encouragement. Have you guys ever noticed? Take a look at that word, encourages. Have you ever noticed the word encourage has the word courage in it? You guys ever seen that? I noticed that. I was like, what? When someone encourages you, they literally put courage in you. In courage. Discouragement is just the opposite. You ever, met, you ever been, have somebody in your life discourage you? What does that mean? It means they literally take the courage out of you. Encourage puts it back in. In our story, there are discouragers and there are encouragers. There's Caleb. Let's go. We can do this. We got it. Come on. God is with us. And there's the crowd. Uh, 
we're going back to where we were before God rescued us. When it comes to your faith in God, are your friends encouraging you or discouraging you? Who's inspiring you to live courageously for God? Who fires you up with the word of God? Who ignites your love for Jesus Christ so you can go after everything God has for you? Is it your unbelieving friends? Can't do that for you. But as Christians, we do that for each other. Don't give up meeting together as is the habit of some. But it talks about meeting together daily so we might encourage each other and strengthen each other in the faith. That's Hebrews Christian friends come alongside of us. They say, let me put some courage in you. Right? God is with you. I'm with you. So keep on believing and keep on fighting. We need friends like that. A good Christian friend encourages you. They share your faith. Last one. A good Christian friend moves you forward. Just like the Israelites had a future. God has a destiny for you. God has a hope and a future for you, for your life. God has a hope and a future for your family, for your marriage. God has an amazing future for every one of us. Some of you are here, you, you, like, oh, I'm in retirement. Uh-uh. It's not your retirement, it's your encore. When I look at every person in this room, I truly believe the best is yet to come. You say, oh, no, no, no. I, I messed up my destiny a long time ago. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. God doesn't write you off just because you made a mistake. God doesn't cancel your destiny just because you've ended up on a detour. Remember, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He paid it all. He rose from the dead. He reigns over heaven and earth. And when we follow Jesus Christ, we have a hope and we have a future. He is fighting for you. No weapon formed against you will prosper. Keep on believing. Keep on moving forward. See, that is our choice. Just like the Israelites th that day, our choice is to move forward, though there are battles, though there are giants into the, in the land, into the destiny that God has for us, or it is to move back into the desert. And as I've found in my own life, my Christian friends aren't going to let me go back to the desert. They're going to, you know, knock me around a little bit. They're like, come on, what, what are you doing? Friends, good Christian friends, keep us moving forward into God's plans and purposes for us. Uh, I saw this all the time in youth ministry when I worked with students. Uh, every few years we'd get a group of students and, and they would build these friendships. Like, uh, like we'd have this class that would just come together and build friendships and do amazing things for God. Um, one of our students was named Nate, uh, Nate Reisenhoover, and he and his classmates decided to start a prayer group on their high school campus, their public high school campus. And once a week, they would meet in the cafeteria and they would pray for their, their school, they would pray for their friends, and other students would join them. They'd study the Word of God. And God began to work through this group of teenagers. Um, they, would, they would pray for people and, and, and they would see friends come to know Jesus. They would see uh, students who had been injured in sports would actually be healed of their injuries. And it just blows you away how God could work through a group of teenagers. But a, a few years ago, after Nate had graduated from high school, 
I was like, so Nate, tell me. Why, I said, why did your group of friends experience so much of God in high school? And he didn't even hesitate. He said, he said I remember my freshman year. And me, and me and my friends got together and we consecrated ourselves to the Lord. We decided that we were going to stick together in following Jesus Christ. We need friends like that. You know, there were other students in our youth ministry that, that just disappeared. And we'd ask questions like, oh, where did so-and-so go? We haven't seen him in a while. And I always hear something like, oh, you know, they, they started dating this person and they're not a Christian or they started hanging out with this crowd. Almost every single time, the difference between those who were moving forward in their destiny and those who were slipping back to the desert was always a matter of friends. Friends are that powerful. We need Christian friends. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. And choose your friends, choose your destiny. So as we wrap up, I believe God has an amazing future for you. I believe he has an awesome destiny for you. You're not here today by accident. But the future that God has for you is too big for you to do it alone. You need some people in your life who are going to fuel your faith in God, not cool your faith in God. You need some Joshua's. You need some Caleb's. I would not be a follower of Jesus Christ today if it was not for my friend Rob. He was my first Christian friend. And we played a lot of video games, for sure. But Rob was the first person to help me move into a relationship with God. He got me into a Bible study. Um, without him, I would have been stuck in the desert rather than moving forward into my destiny. So he was a powerful, powerful person in my life. And we always want Hope Community Church to be a place where you can come and make a friend. That's what this church is for. It's a place for you to, to come and to connect with some other people. We had an awesome women's day retreat yesterday, didn't we? Women, are you feeling more connected? Absolutely, right? Um, another place to get connected is in small groups. Maybe you're just starting to come to the church. Uh, sign up for Discover Hope. Meet some of the leaders here. We want a chance to meet you. Uh, maybe it's, um, we, we have a fellowship time at the close of every service. So take a moment and connect with some people you don't know. Hope Community Church is a church where you can make some friends, some good Christian friends. Our, our vision is right there, um, up and out. Want friendship with God, friendship with other believers, and friendship with people who don't know Jesus and aren't connected with the church. That's what it's all about, three friends. It's been said that we are the average of our five closest friends. Who are your five closest friends? Thanks. We're most likely the average of our five closest friends. And today you've been hanging out with us here at Hope Community Church. I think that's pretty awesome. And our prayer for you is that you'll make some friends here. They'll become first chair friends, inner circle friends. They'll be your comrades in Jesus. And you'll be inspired to live differently, just like Joshua and Caleb. So let me pray and pray for you. God, thanks for this church family. Thank you for connecting us and bringing us to this place. And sometimes we can come to church, we can feel alone. 
And maybe we are coming alone today, but we are not alone. Because you've surrounded us with a community. You've surrounded us with a family and, and a tribe. So would you, Holy Spirit, unify us and connect us? Would we find other believers in this house who will ignite a passion for you, who will help us to move forward in everything you have for us? God, thank you that we're not alone. Thank you that you're with us. You're fighting our battles. Thank you that we will be victorious over the giants in our life. But we're asking today that we could look to the left and we could look to the right and we would see other brothers and sisters who are supporting us and strengthening us. Lord, lead us into everything you have for us. We love you, God. We thank you that you are our champion. We thank you that you are a warrior who fights our battles. God, we pray for those who are, who are alone or hurting, need healing. Would you touch our lives this morning? Thank you for forgiving our sin. Thank you that no matter what, what path we've been on, today is a day when we can move forward in faith. So help us to do that, God, as we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.